It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Hello, everybody. Uh, This has been one of the most exciting weeks that I can remember in 48 years that I've been involved in New Jersey politics. Uh, As I watched election results roll in from, from all over the state, I... I can't even count the number of holy crap moments that I have. And I am, I am to be clear, cleaning up my language for the radio because I assure you, holy crap, were not the exact words that I was using. Uh, so in a state that has a million more Democrats than Republicans, it looks like Phil Murphy has won re-election to a second term. But despite the polls and the conventional wisdom and all the experts, including me, Jack Chitterelli, the Republican candidate, almost pulled off an upset. And by the time the numbers stopped coming in early, early Wednesday morning, this race was basically tied. It was too close to call. In a in a race that sent shockwaves through New Jersey uh, that creates a, a potentially a historic realignment of the political structure of the entire state, Steve Sweeney, the president of the New Jersey Senate, appears to have lost re-election in his O district. I mean, holy crap. On Wednesday night, some news organizations called the race for Murphy. Uh, while I don't, I don't disagree with the call, there's no reason to think that the outcome is going to be any different. Uh, I'm, I'm going to, as, as they say, exercise an abundance of caution, and I'm going to wait and see just how many votes have been cast and exactly how many still need to be counted. And in in full transparency with the readers of the New Jersey Globe, the listeners of the New Jersey Globe Power Hour right here on 77 WABC, uh, I'm moving a little bit slower on calling these races because I, I got a number of these races wrong. I didn't believe the governor's race was going to be as close as it turned out to be, and I didn't cover some state legislative races as closely as I should have. And I'll, I'll talk more about that uh, in, the, in the weeks ahead. But But we're now in full analysis mode as, as we figure out what happened and, and why and where it's going. So I'm going to spend the show talking to one of the smartest people in New Jersey who has been laser focused on these results. It's Micah Rasmussen. He is the director of the Rebovich Institute of New Jersey Politics at Ryder University. We're going to peel back the onion on Election Day 2021. Micah, welcome. Thanks for having me, David. So, so this was a squeaker. You know, there's that old adage, right? You, you know what you call a governor who wins by one vote. You call him governor. But what happened? Well, Phil Murphy apparently has done it, and no one can or should take that away from him. Um, it's a tall order to get reelected in New Jersey. We're a tough crowd, tougher even than maybe anyone thought. But, you know, in the next breath, or even very much in the same headline, Jack's extra 320,000 votes at this point is very much part of the, 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 the main story here. Uh, you know, he figured out who those likely voters were going to be. He, he, he drilled down on them. He, he, he fed them the messages that they needed to hear. He got them out. And, you know, if he, if, if he can do it this year and if Donald Trump can get those extra voters last year, they can do it again. And this it's, it seems to be – to me, this was a, a complete and total rejection of some some Democratic policies by blue-collar New Jersey. Is that is that fair? Well, yes. You can definitely say that when you look at the, uh, especially in the legislative races, right? You can see that with, with Steve Sweeney, uh, you know, very much a blue-collar district. You can see that in um, the 11th district where Democrats have apparently sustained a couple of losses. Um, there's no question that... Um, you know, and look, Steve Sweeney knew that much, right? I mean, he has been on the path to progress, you know, the uh, pension reform plan, the, the, the um, reform of state finances for a long time. He knew the people in southwest Jersey were hurting. Uh, he knew the property taxes were killing people. He was trying to do something about it. Um, and I think, you know, obviously for that group of people who voted against him, they just ran out of patience. And Murphy's now ahead. I mean, as I said earlier, this this race was – this race was, I mean, Chitterelli was up for a while. Uh, this race was dead even for, for much of the night. Now now the governor's up about 63,000 votes. Chitterelli has, has not conceded. I, I want to play what Jack Chitterelli said this week about where he is on this election. 
Hey everybody, Jack Chitterelli here. Time for another Jack Chat. This might be the most important Jack Chat yet, so please watch and share. Two days ago, shockwaves were sent throughout our state and the national political world, all because a Republican was in position to win the race for governor here in New Jersey. Despite what the polls, press, and pundits were saying, I knew I could win. Why? Because every time a governor of this state has taken us too far off track, the decent, hardworking people of New Jersey have always risen up and said, that's not where we want to go. Currently, Governor Murphy and I are separated by about 1% after 2.4 million ballots counted. There are still tens of thousands of vote by mail and provisional ballots yet to be counted. And so, the governor's victory speech last night was premature. No one should be declaring victory or conceding the election until every legal vote is counted. Here is where we stand. First, we're going to allow the 21 counties to continue with the process of counting every legal vote by mail and provisional ballot. That could take another week or two, and we've got compliance people watching over that. If necessary, any decision on a recount or audit will come at the very end of the counting process, not before. Second, I don't want people falling victim to wild conspiracy theories or online rumors. While consideration is paid to any and all credible reports, please don't believe everything you see or read online. Third, you can report any perceived or real irregularity to the Voter Integrity Hotline set up by the NJGOP. The number is 609-288-2925. Listen, I know how passionate people are about this election and the future of our state. I am too. That's why I worked so very hard the past 22 months to win this election and get New Jersey on a different path forward. Right now, what's most important is for everyone to be patient and let the process play out. Know this, my team is comprised of some of the best legal and political history. I promise you, Whatever the outcome, the election result will be legal and fair. You have my word. Hopefully, we'll be fixing New Jersey together. See you on the next Jack Chat. So that was Republican gubernatorial candidate Jack Chitterelli, and, and I'm speaking with Mike Erasmussen, the director of the Rebovich Institute of New Jersey Politics at Ryder University. Mike, it seemed seemed like Jack Chitterelli was acting uh, fairly responsibly right now in terms of calming everybody down and saying, just sit back, wait, and let's get a count. I give him all the credit in the world. This is exactly what um, both parties need to be saying about having confidence in the process, about having confidence in voting. And this is not a one-off. This is exactly what Jack and his team were saying before the election, too. He said, you know, listen, if you vote by mail, know that that's secure. That's something Republicans in particular need to hear, and I give him a lot of credit for that. One of the things one of the things I've been looking at is, 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 is just the importance, one way or the other, regardless of who wins, that, that election officials need to be fully transparent. And, and, and there's, I mean, let's make no mistake, there's, there's no evidence at all. There's not even accusations of, of fraud in this election. But, but Micah, shouldn't, shouldn't these election officials show their work? Shouldn't they say, here's the number of provisional ballots we have, county by county, town by town that are uncounted. Here's the number of vote-by-mail ballots, where they're from, uh, and when we're going to count them. Shouldn't they... Shouldn't they reassure the public as to what's there instead of having these numbers just just keep flowing in days later? Absolutely. And um, it should be a, it should be a daily requirement. Um, you know, every day that they're counting the votes, we should know how many they counted, how many they have left, what's in their possession and what may still be coming in. Right. Because we know and this is, you know, something that gets confusing for people. But we know that if a ballot is postmarked uh, as of Election Day um, and through no fault of the uh, voter, it doesn't reach the Board of Elections for another couple of days. That's still a valid vote because, you know, they the vote did everything right so that should still be counted but to be honest that's really a trickle i mean i looked at one county where there were like six of those this week so it's not a major amount of votes but we should absolutely know at the end of the day how many votes are left so that we can know what to expect what types of votes those are um and that's the way to build transparency that's the way to build confidence listen that's the way we do it in any communications best practice is, is to tell people what you've done what's coming next they do it that way in other states by the way in California, they do it that way. Camden County tries to do, the clerk's office tries to do something approaching those lines. They do put out a status update, but it doesn't actually have vote counts. And I think we could probably get there with the number of ballots that are uncounted. Now, it seems like Chitterelli, to me, when I, when I go county by county looking at these numbers, they, I mean, he really, he really overperformed in Republican areas. He was, Republicans were coming to the polls and and Democrats were uh, 
while Murphy won a lot of these counties by the percentages that he he should have, they he didn't he didn't get the total number of votes out of them. I mean, is this is this is this Democrats that were just all right? Donald Trump is gone, mission accomplished. We're good. Phil Murphy's going to win, or or is is there is there a problem with Democratic voters moving to uh, to to a different party in New Jersey? Yeah, that's I, you know I, I tend to think that. Um, some of the Democrats came out, right? Obviously, many of the Democrats came out. And this goes back to the point about not undercutting the Governor Murphy is due. He got 83,000 more votes so far than he did in 2017. That's not an inconsiderable deal. But you're looking at a situation where Jack got 320,000 more votes than Kim Guadagno got in, 20, uh, in 2017. So he overperformed. And the electorate is a lot bigger. That's the other thing. You know, we can look at raw vote counts and raw vote totals and who came above their previous result. But there are 400,000 more Democrats in this state than there were four years ago. And there are 800,000 more voters than there were four years ago. So, you know, the big deal in this election, the real number we really have to pay attention to is those extra votes that Jack got out. That's really the the, the 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 one that we've got to drill down on and what what the long-term effect is is going to be on those i am speaking with micah rasmussen he is the the very talented director of the rebovich institute of new jersey politics at Ryder university uh, we're going to come back and talk more about this election and i want to talk about this stunning stunning upset in the making the a giant killer in south jersey who who on a a, a just a couple thousand dollars beat the most powerful uh, legislative leader in the history of the state, Senate President Steve Sweeney. So we will be right back. Please don't go anywhere. You won't want to miss this. This is David Wildstein. I am the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. So welcome back, everybody. I am speaking with Micah Rasmussen, the director of the Rebovich Institute of New Jersey Politics at Ryder University. Micah, the the, the, the race that, that caught me off guard, the one that I didn't see coming at all, uh, the one that was, you know, perhaps one of the greatest shocks uh, and upsets of my lifetime is that Steve Sweeney, the Senate president, uh, appears to have lost re-election. He's 2,095 votes behind a man named Edward Durr. He is a uh, he is a truck driver for Raymore and Flanagan. He spent about two thousand dollars to to upset uh, the longest serving legislative leader in New Jersey history. Michael, what happened? How did how did Edward Durr wind up in the Senate? Well, if you think you're shocked, you should you should see how shocked Steve Sweeney and, and Ed Durr are, because I don't think either one of them saw this coming. Um, what happened is that, um, well, for one thing, you know, I keep going back to the numbers, right? I don't know if you noticed this, David, but about 20,000 extra voters came out in Gloucester County, which is just crazy for one county. 75,000 people four years ago, 95,000 and counting, maybe even more in this election. So the question is who they are, right? And, and you know, at the same time that's going on, one of the things we could see, there's a lot we didn't see, but one of the things we could see is changes that were happening in deepest South Jersey, in Salem County, um, you know, getting Trumpier, getting friendlier to Trump and, 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 and not wanting to hear from you if you weren't with President Trump. And so, um, you know, resembling other rural counties around the country in that regard, probably the only county in the state that's like that. Um, and so, you know, you have to look at what's going on. And clearly, they were ready to, to, to send a message and make a change. And they didn't really want to hear particularly what uh, Sweeney had to say. They were ready to bet on uh, somebody they really didn't even know. I mean, Durr said it the day after the election. He said, I'm nobody. This has nothing to do with me. This has to do with the people repudiating the status quo. And this is this is uh, I mean, this is this is a Republican. I think this is a Republican district. This is for for those not familiar with it. This is is essentially suburban Delaware. I mean, this is this is, you know, Salem County, where you, you cross over the bridge into into Delaware. This is this is South Jersey. This is this is not Essex County. This isn't Bergen County. Uh, I mean, I think Sweeney has held this seat for 20 years, really, because a lot of his skill, his skill sets have have enabled him to do that against some really tough challenges. But, Micah, do you think do you think Sweeney took his eye off the ball 
uh, in his own district as he's focusing on running for governor someday? Well, I am sorry to say, right, I mean, you know, just last week uh, he was up in, you know, the northern part of the state teasing a run for governor. And, you know, listen, I, you know, um, <laughs> you can't do that. Three out of the four caucuses were paying attention to who their leader was going to be after Election Day, right? They took, you know, a lot of people in Trenton took for granted the election. Um, and uh, And that's when... Funny things can happen and shocking things can happen. And that's when you leave yourself open to the surprise that that took place. And South Jersey, that wasn't that wasn't the only race that that caught a lot of Democrats by surprise. I mean, between the Atlantic County seat in District two and and the the seat of Burlington County, where a a Republican longtime Republican senator switched parties in 2019 running as a Democrat. I mean, they. They got beat. They got beat handily. And I think Democrats, I think Democrats must have spent $12 million in those two races combined. What, what, what led South Jersey? And I know you were from South Jersey originally, Michael. What, what led South Jersey to just go completely red this year? Well, again, you know, David, there's a lot, there's so much we didn't see, but one of the things we saw in all of the polling, and I know we're going to talk about polling, but we knew that this was the area of the state that was softest for Murphy all the way through the year, right? We knew that if there was one area that Jack was going to be able to capitalize on, it was going to be South Jersey. And guess what? He did. Now, you know, it's easy to dismiss South Jersey because the numbers just aren't there on a statewide basis. You know, even if you include Monmouth and Ocean, where we always knew he was going to do well, that's still only about a third of the state. But guess what? If they turn out and, you know, other people don't turn out to match that in other parts of the state, they can have an outsized impact. And that's exactly what they did. And this is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I am speaking with Micah Rasmussen of Ryder University. He runs the Rebovich Institute in New Jersey Politics. And, and Micah, you and I have talked about this before. South Jersey, uh, for 36 years, Joe Biden was effectively their third U.S. senator. They shared some of the same media markets. He went in. Now, now I, I say this. Now I'm saying a poll number and 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 we we've got to talk about polling polling yep. soon but but Joe Biden seemed to be way way upside down in South Jersey was was Vince Palestina's win uh over Vince Mazio was was Gene Stanfield's defeat of Senator Adiego how much of that was Joe Biden how much of this is Biden how much of this is Murphy well there's clearly and if you listen to the Murphy people there is clearly what they call a red wave right and this is and what they what they're trying to say the point they're trying to make is that this is not something that was limited to New Jersey you saw it in Virginia you saw it in other parts of the country in fact Wicker who we did not talk about in the 16th district is probably the only ray of sunshine right you know other than governor Murphy getting reelected that is the only legislative pickup for democrats this year so you know there was clearly a feeling that um you know people were disappointed they have not seen the payoff for going with Biden. They did not see the payoff for going along with Democrats all the way through. And I think that they really had, their patience had been, had run thin. Um, you know, Van Drew flipped parties and, you know, sort of said, I'm done with the Democrats. And I think a lot of fellow South Jerseyans uh, decided the same thing. And we look at Monmouth County, a heavy Republican county. They have a Democratic senator named Vin Gopal. He's been on this show uh, a bunch of times. And, and, I think Phil Murphy lost his district. Chitterelli won that Monmouth district by close to 5,000 votes. Right. Gopal went to bed on election night. He was, he was down 490. He's now about 2,000 votes up. But, but there's, a, there's an example there of, of voters differentiating, holding, hold, going to the Republican roots at the top but still staying with the Democratic senator. Is that, is that local politics or, you know, and, and Gopal's it's own identity there? Yeah, it's got to be because the you know you, you you're right. They bounce they bounce down the ballot and then they bounce back again because somehow Vin's running mates are running behind, right? And and so they really bounced around a lot in Monmouth County. And the question is, what's going on there? Because you know the three legislators have run 
you know, sort of that joint identity, right? They run very closely together. Um, there's nothing that, you know, seemingly from the outside where you could detect one, you know, why one should be getting support and the other two shouldn't be getting support. You know, we've really got to start to drill down on the town by town in, in, in that district in particular, because honestly, David, I'm sure you've seen, seen this and noticed this, this will potentially be the only split district left in the entire state of New Jersey going forward. It looks that way. And, and Monmouth County, I mean, this Monmouth County in total, Murphy, Murphy, Murphy lost it by 12,000 votes four years ago. Uh, he lost it right now with more votes coming in. He's, he's, he's down 43,000. So this was, this was one of these shifts that we've been, uh, we've been talking about where Chitterelli is just overperforming in Republican areas. But I'm speaking with Micah Rasmussen, the director of the Rebovich Institute of Politics at Ryder University. So, so the other huge news, I mean, I mean, you know, potentially one that will, 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 will have an effect beyond the Murphy administration is that New Jersey's getting a new Senate president. And for those, those that don't know, uh, New Jersey constitutionally is probably the most powerful governorship in the country, but there should be no mistake. New Jersey Senate presidency might be the most powerful legislative leadership position in the country. Uh, yesterday, the New Jersey Globe broke the story that Nicholas Katari, a, a, the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, he will be the new Senate president, uh, Micah, there were, there were, this came, this came fairly quickly, right? This, 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 this transition of picking a new leader, uh, really why Steve Sweeney's body was still warm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and to Scatari's credit, um, you know, he understood that, you know, everybody was going to want to throw their hat in the ring and this was the time to coalesce. He got accused by a couple of legislators of, of, of moving while the body was still warm, you know, but um, he knew that every minute, every second was going to count. And if it wasn't him coalescing, it was going to be somebody else that was. And so you really have to give him some credit for winding up on top here. Um, there, you know, it's not without criticism. There are folks um, who think that he's not progressive enough for the party. There are folks who think that he's too white for the party. But we have to say that the majority of the uh, black legislative caucus has gotten behind him at this point. Seven out of 10 Democratic senators of color are are already on board with Scutari. So, I mean, I think think that's fine. And and look, one of the things I see here is is Nicholas Scutari, the the next president of the New Jersey State Senate. Uh, He's been there since 2003, and he he has spent a lot. He's invested a lot of time building relationships with other senators. I guess you do that from the Judiciary Committee, but but there should be no mistake. He is this guy is well liked among Democrats in the Senate. Absolutely, and you just mentioned the Judiciary Committee. Every nominee, we talk about the power of these uh, of the of the of the uh, of the governor. A lot of the power of the governor comes from the fact that he gets to appoint everybody throughout state government, and and you know has people around state government who are carrying out his agenda and his bidding. But guess what? Every single one of those people has to go through the Judiciary Committee, and so we 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 know Bill Gormley wielded that power very very effectively for Atlanta County for a long time, and you know and and so. Scutari has followed that model. And you know what? Brian Stack is going to be the next Judiciary Chairman. I'm sure he's going to do the same thing. And, and Scutari, Scutari we, we talk about uh, yesterday, uh, black and Latino groups came out and said, it's time for New Jersey to have a, a Senate president of, of color. Uh, I'll, I'll give you my take on that. And that is, they don't necessarily have there's, – there's not actually a candidate now. I think they're just planting the flag. I think they're, they're laying the groundwork to, hey, we, you know, we're looking for this in the future. And it, and it, and it may not be – it may, may not be in 2021, but down the road there's going to be a point where that Senate presidency is going to have to go to somebody other than a white man. Is that, is that fair? Yes, and it's completely legitimate because, you know, look – um, you know, you've heard a lot of this in this cycle and beyond that, um, you know, minority voters who support the Democratic Party are not willing to be taken advantage of anymore. They're not willing to be taken for granted anymore. And they want the seat at the table. They want, you know, look, so many elections, it's those minority voters who are carrying the Democratic ticket over the top. They want some credit for that. And so, you know, if it's not now, then it's got to be the next time. Yeah. Yep. So we're going to come right back and, and, and talk about what 
what Murphy's second term is going to look like, what the legislature is going to look like, what the the effects going to be on New Jersey. Uh, Micah Rasmussen, director of the Rebovich Institute of New Jersey Politics at Ryder University, will stay with me. We're going to we're going to uh, we're going to plow forward. So please don't go away. This is David Wildstein. I am the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio seventy seven WABC. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. Welcome back, everybody. I'm still joined by Micah Rasmussen, the director of the Rebovich Institute of New Jersey Politics at Ryder University. I want to start off, I want to play a clip of what Governor Phil Murphy said on Wednesday night uh, when he he claimed victory uh, for a second term as governor. I have campaigned on one very clear pledge. I've got your back. I said it in June, and I'm so grateful to say it today. You've always had mine. Tonight, we declare the days of division are over. We will move forward together. This is exactly who we are, New Jersey. We have each other's backs. To believe in each of us is to believe in all of us. Eighteen months ago, I chose to run for governor on a belief that New Jersey's best days are before us, that our future is unlimited, and that we have been failed by leadership which forgot what it meant to dream big. For 541 days, we have asked New Jerseyans to join us. First, we did a whole lot of listening. Then we asked folks to listen to our ideas and to decide for themselves if they wanted a change in direction. So Mike Erasmussen of, of Rebovich Institute of New Jersey Politics at Ryder was, it's hard to say what Phil Murphy thought he was going to say, right? That this was a mandate for his second term. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And, and um, look, um, there's been so much made this week about um, uh, progressive future for the state, uh, less progressive future for the state. Look, there's no question that Governor Murphy's going to continue to be a progressive because that's who he is. You know, he's really not going to be anything but what he is. But uh, let's also say that the bottom line is the second term was always going to be less ideological. You know, that big agenda that he just talked about, um, the sweeping agenda, he didn't have that again this time, right? He got all of that accomplished in the first term, right? Um, and so I think the second term is going to be more about taking care of business. I think it's going to be taking care of people, making sure that no one in New Jersey feels neglected, at least if the Democrats want to course correct and they want to make sure that they learn and they want to make sure that they're ready to run a year from now and two years from now. That's what they need to do. They need to make sure that they address the economy. They want need to make sure that they address property taxes. You and I have a difference on how much they can do there because of the contours of the legislature. But, um, you know, no one wants to feel neglected and everybody wants to feel heard. So one of the things that I learned, and I spent I spent three days working the phones, talking to Democratic senators, getting a grasp on what was happening in the Senate presidency race and what life might be like in the in the post Steve Sweeney world. Uh, something that came up in conversation with senator after senator was uh, enough with the liberal stuff that we've we've got to we've if if we are not governing New Jersey from the center we're going to lose elections is that a is that a a, a roadblock to progressives who want to take what Phil Murphy did in the first term and and just go further and double down in the second term yeah this is like TNT when you when 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 the progressives hear this but again this is where I go back to um, how much of this was going to be the case anyway? You have now a second-term governor who is not running for re-election again, and you have a legislature who is running in two years. And redistricting is going to take place first. You know, listen, this is a very vulnerable time for everybody, and they've got to keep their eye on the prize, even if he's not, even if he's freed up now to not have to be worried about the encumbrances of running for re-election. Um, everybody else is, and so I'll give you an example. The Reproductive Freedom Act. 
that was always on the ropes going into, you know, lame duck, right? You and I heard that loud and clear in the Globe's legislative debates was that it was going to be scaled back, right? And, and so, you know, I would say that that's an example where that becomes an even more clear-cut call now, not because, you know, uh, anything has changed, just because the politics were such that it was going to be tough to get through anyway, so I think even tougher now. And this is David Wildstein. Uh, you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I am speaking with Micah Rasmussen of Ryder University. One thing, and I mean, this is just this is just to me in the front of my mind in every every conversation that I have about Murphy's second term in the legislature. And I think this would have been the same whether Steve Sweeney was still going to be the Senate president or whether it's Nick Scatari. That is the retirement of Loretta Weinberg, the the Senate majority leader, the liberal line of the legislature she she uniquely had this relationship with Sweeney where she could move the Senate president to the left when she needed to and she knew when to do that and when not to do that Uh, I mean is there anybody in the Senate that's going to be able to move Democratic senators in that caucus to the left when they should be to the left well, that's the first thing they're going to have to figure out, and who the relationships with uh, the, that Scutari has the relationships with, and who he listens to. Right? I mean, we know that he's, you know, <laughs> had a compa- combative relationship with at least one of them, right? Legendary um, with uh, with uh, Senator Rice. So, you know, the question is, you know, how can they figure out how to replace her? And yes, that's absolutely a void. That is absolutely something that um, you know those who are advocating those policies are going to have to figure out who comes next because she has been a pit bull. I mean, you know, she's been just absolutely indefatigable um, for as long as she's been there. And uh, I don't know. I don't know who that is. I don't know what anybody can fill her shoes. And I'm wondering about, you know, and I've, I've been calling it for the last couple of days, the Lisa Swain rule. Lisa Swain is a a uh, Democratic Assemblywoman from a suburban Bourbon, Bergen County district. And, and, and the reason I call it the Lisa Swain rule is because because for the last few years, for, for a long time, actually, uh, as Democrats had a big majority in the legislature, uh, they've been positioned to give Democratic lawmakers in tough districts passes on some tough issues because they had enough votes to pass them anyway. So, so I'm speaking with Micah Rasmussen of Ryder University. My, my question is this, is, is the Lisa Swain rule going to be going forward that if if this is an issue that might be damaging to suburban Democratic lawmakers, rather than figure out a way to pass it, they just won't do it? Well, if they certainly the margin is a little bit less, right? It's not like Democrats don't still have a cushion, right? And that's, you know, that's, again, you know, nobody should, should mistake that. Uh, we, we think at this moment, right, we think that there will be 24 uh, Democrats in the Senate and 46 Democrats in the, uh, in the Assembly. So they do have a little bit of cushion to get down to 21 or to get down to 41. So they can give a certain amount of passes away. But if they get beyond that number, then you're right. Then they're not going to move the legislation. That's just the way they're going to do it. They can't. Th- listen, they learned this lesson a long time ago. I remember Joe Doria saying, you cannot make another Democrat walk the plank as a number of Democrats had to cost themselves their career to fall on the sword to vote for the Florio tax increases. They said that they had learned their lesson. They were never going to do that again. So, yes, I see exactly what you're saying. If there are too many vote, uh, who aren't on board, then the legislation won't go forward. And, and- I'm speaking with Micah Rasmussen of Ryder University. Micah, I mean, one one other change is that Republicans elected their new minority leaders this this week. Uh, Steve Oraho in the Senate from Sussex County, John DeMeo of Warren County will be the new Assembly minority leader. DeMeo, DeMeo beat Nancy Munoz, who who is arguably probably the most moderate Democrat, or de- moderate Republican uh, in the Assembly. So so we, we, let's compare it. I mean, you have. You have Oroho replacing Tom Kane Jr., who who is right of center, uh, but 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 not a fire breathing conservative. You have John DeMeo, more conservative than John Bramnick, moving up to the Senate, uh, who has who has preached civility, you know, fairly well, you know, during over the last ten years. But is this is this major, is this Republican minority going to be more? more vocal, more aggressive on conservative positions than it's been in the last few years because their numbers are a little bit better? I think they're going to be more vocal. I think they're going to, you know, in some sense, 
the legislative Republicans are back, right? You and I have talked about that, right? They're, they're not the third party anymore. They're the second party, right? They, they've, they've taken that position back from the splinter groups of Democrats, um, which is much to their credit. But, and they will have a stronger voice. But whether or not it is just a conservative voice purely is a different question. And, you know, I, I have to think they're going to follow the Jack Chitterelli mold, right, where, you know, it doesn't seem to have done him any damage that he moderated a little bit during the campaign. He sent the signal that he was, you know, really essentially pro-choice for reasons of bodily autonomy. And, you know, he really managed to straddle that fence in a way that I think you're going to see the rest of the party now try to emulate. And, and this is and this is a hugely insider issue, you know, involving uh, New Jersey has something called senatorial courtesy. That means that uh, an unwritten rule that none of Phil Murphy's nominees can even make it to the Senate Judiciary Committee if their home county senator or their hometown senator is is not on board with their nomination. And, and the New Jersey Globe reported this yesterday. With this election, it's now Republicans have this red wall on nominations in 16 of 21 counties where they have an ability to to affect who Murphy can put in. Now, now he can put in cabinet members on an acting basis. They get an asterisk next to their name for, you know, in, in, in the red book for the rest of their lives, but they can still do the job, but not with judges, not with prosecutors. They have to be confirmed. What is what does that mean to Phil Murphy's second term that he's got to go through so many Republican senators to get nominees through? Well, there may be some horse trading, right? I mean, that's that's what logic would tell you, is that um, there may be a price that has to get extracted. Now, the good news is, is that, you know, Murphy isn't going to put up any dogs because that would splash back on him anyway. So it's not like, you know, Republicans are going to, you know, file an objection to uh, and hold up somebody who wouldn't be qualified. They're going to be able to get behind these folks because, you know, that's just the way it is in New Jersey. You don't, you know, go out and appoint somebody who has no experience. We don't see that the way we've seen in other jurisdictions. But, um, you know, yeah, I, I think logic would tell you that they may want uh, their nominee to get through, too. So I think you'll see more of that. And, and this is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. I am talking to Micah Rasmussen, the director of the Rebovich Institute of Politics at Ryder University. Uh, we're just going to take a short break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about what the effect of this election is uh, on New Jersey and nationally uh, for the 22 midterms and in New Jersey in the future. So please don't go anywhere. We will be right back. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. Welcome back, everybody. I am joined by the, the, the very talented and, 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 and enormously smart Micah Rasmussen. He uh, runs Ryder University's Rebovich Institute of New Jersey Politics. Ryder, uh, Micah, first, first of all, I, I don't want this show to go by with one of the things that, that just I just keep smiling about uh, all week, not because I took sides, just because I like this story. In, in a small town in Monmouth County called Tinton Falls, Vito Perillo uh, was reelected to his second four-year term at the age of 97. He will be 101 years old when he decides to, to run for re-election. Micah, that's just, that's just quintessential New Jersey, right? That's just a great Jersey story. It is unbelievable, right? And he got involved in politics at the tender age of 93, right? He ran right, because people term. pissed him off in town, and he said, i got to do this myself. Exactly. It's, My grandmother, who lives not far from him, says, you know, her doctors tell her, I'll make it to 100 easy. So maybe that's what his doctors are telling him, too. And maybe maybe we'll we'll talk later about your grandmother running for mayor. So, <laughs> But we'll see. So so what what we look at in New Jersey is – is this was this was a with the exception of the you know with, with the mere technicality that Phil Murphy is going to be governor and not Jack Chitterelli, this was a Republican year. I mean, Republicans Republicans did well in the legislature. They did they did great in certain county races across the state. When I mean they they won in Cumberland, they won in Gloucester. They're leading in Passaic. They they did they did well all over the place. You know, I'm. I'm told I'm told 75 to 100 seats at the local level. To what extent is are the lessons of New Jersey 2021 the opening act to Joe Biden's midterm elections? Oh, there's no question. And, you know, we can start from the bottom and we can say, um, 
and you and I have talked about this too, the writing is almost on the wall in places like Cumberland and in Salem and in Gloucester and, you know, maybe beyond. But Democrats are going to have a really, really hard time uh, keeping control of those two counties. Salem's already Republican, of course, but Salem used to be a place where both parties got elected. And so um, I think in the South, the prospect of a solid South, at least locally, with regard to county government, I think you're going to see those counties you know, go 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 red pretty soon, and uh, that would not be a stretch to think that that was going to be the case. But with regard to you know, from the from the top up, um, it seems like it's a long time from now. It's a year from now. That can be an eternity when it comes to politics, and anything can turn on a dime. But it's also just about on top of us because you know people are choosing whether or not they're going to run for office, and and you know they're making those decisions now. But I will say, with regard to the idea that it can be an eternity, the picture has already begun to change a little bit since Tuesday. There's nothing like a good scare to get congressional Republicans moving and off the dime on the Build Back Better plan, which you know is now is you know, they finally reached agreement on. And if they had done that a few weeks ago, who knows, maybe the Democratic lot nationally would have been a little bit better. And I mean, just just an example, Josh Gottheimer, a Democratic congressman from Bergen County in a in a Republican district. Uh, I mean, he led this fight for the, the state and local tax deduction, the salt tax to be be restored. He didn't he didn't let anybody push him off of that. It seems like like now he can run on that. Absolutely, he can. And, um, you know, Tom Malinowski can run on um, the the uh, transportation dollars that he's brought back, and uh, Mikey Sherrill can talk about the um, the gateway projects that are coming now, finally at long last. I mean, this is a big deal for the New Jersey delegation. Uh, we don't always get our fair share, but this time in this bill, we're going to New Jersey's going to do just fine, and that's a credit to this delegation and the power that they wield within the Democratic Caucus. Yeah, but let's let's not speak too optimistically about this delegation. They are coming off the twenty one election. They're going into 2022. Joe Biden's numbers are are underwater in New Jersey. They are they are they 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 they're not good nationally. But but I you know I I of course only care about New Jersey. There are uh, there there are several seats: Andy Kim, Tom Malinowski, Mikey Sherrill, Gottheimer that are uh, that are are potentially winnable under the current map. We don't know what this new map is going to look like, but. But if 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 you are if you are a Republican looking to go to Congress, isn't 2022 your year? Very tempting. And again, what you and I have said is what if this year was not a one off? What if those three hundred and twenty thousand voters uh, who voted for Jack and who apparently voted for Trump uh, are now part of the Republican base and they're going to come out again? That's a pretty tempting. uh, It's certainly a better environment than it has looked like for, um, you know, congressional Republicans in the state for a long time. So, yes, you've got to be taking a close look at whether or not this is your shot to take. So what's the impact of Tuesday on congressional redistricting? Are, uh, are, are you think Democrats will fight to protect all the seats or will they pick will they pick one Democratic member of Congress from New Jersey to sacrifice, throw a bunch of Republicans from the other districts into it, make that a solid Republican district and try and save the others? Yeah, I don't know what you think about that. I've always been skeptical of that plan, but certainly, again, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing like a good scare and some legislative losses to, you know, get everybody focused. And, you know, maybe that's now going to make those other members of Congress who, you know, didn't feel an urgency before. Now they're going to say, oh, wait a minute. You know, you talk about those old crap moments. If, you know, 50,000 of those voters are in my district, I better shore things up. And so, you know, I think that those decisions are probably all happening. I think if they can protect Malinowski, they will, right? I mean, then nobody wants to throw him overboard. But I think that if push comes to shove, and if that's the way that they can get the districts, their own districts in the shape that they need to get them in, then, you know, so, so long. Sorry about that. Right? You know, so I think they'll do it. If I think they'll protect them if they can. What's what's Andy Kim, congressman from from Burlington and Ocean County? What is he thinking when he looks at these numbers and sees the the massive turnout of Republicans in Ocean County and and Gene Stanfield in his own district uh, winning a state senate seat, despite the fact that that Don Adiego and the Democrats spent you know five six million dollars? What's what's he thinking? Yeah, he's thinking, you know, he's thinking I need some help. He's thinking I've got to shore this thing up. He's thinking not only was there a swing for Murphy apparently in Ocean County from, you know, 26 down four years ago to 36 down this time, so a swing of 10%. 
but also, or a swing of 10 points, um, but also in Burlington County, Burlington County went from plus 14 to Murphy last time to plus seven this time. So a swing of, you know, 7% in the wrong direction. So, you know, he's definitely thinking, you know, I need some help here. I can't, I can't just let this go by, you know, push comes to shove. I need to do what I need to do instead of worrying about the rest of the delegation. And, and let's let's jump ahead because we we always jump ahead in New Jersey. Uh, uh, that may have been one of the that may have been one of the issues that that, that led to a, a, a an upset this year was was the jumping ahead. But let you know, Phil Murphy Phil Murphy is term limited, so right. Democrats are going to be shopping for a candidate for governor. Republicans are going to be looking for a candidate for governor. New Jersey has not elected. Uh, Three Democrats in a row for in sixty years since nineteen sixty one. So, so let's talk about Republicans first. Is is Jack Chitterelli the front runner for the Republican nomination for governor in four years? If he wants it, absolutely. I mean, what Republican wouldn't want him to be the standard bearer again, right? I mean, you know, even even if uh, selfishly, even if it's just to take the gains that he, you know, helped amass for them, right? So he was good for the brand. He was good for the ticket. But then you add on top of that the fact that he probably has, um, you know, the most experience going in, certainly as a gubernatorial candidate, doing it twice before, um, certainly, um, you know, really an effective campaign, um, smart people around him, um, you know, Chris Russell, Eric Arpert, no question, winning team, no question. I mean, even though they came up short, we can't call them the winning team, but they absolutely just, you know, keep on going back to those extra votes they brought out. If he wants to run again, I think he's got it, no question about it. And not unusual. I mean, this is this has happened before. Chitterelli ran in 17, lost the primary, lost the general this year, it seems. Uh, the same thing that happened with Jim Florio, lost the primary in 77, lost the general by 1,700 votes in 1981, and eight years later came back and was elected governor. Uh, uh, and, but, and you and I talked about this week. He's he's 59 years old. So by no means is he somebody who can't say at the age of 63, um, you know, this is my time. And I'm speaking with Micah Rasmussen, director of the Revenge Institute in New Jersey Politics at Ryder University. Uh, what about on the Democratic side? Steve Sweeney was getting ready to run. He, he, can he run? Can he still run? Oh, uh, I think he's. <laughs> I, I I think. If you were to ask his team today, they'd probably say no. Um, you know, I think, you know, give it a little bit of time after they're smarting and maybe they'll reevaluate. But I think at this moment, it's not something that he could possibly be considering. It's not that he can. I just I just don't think he is considering it at this point. I think he's still smarting. Um, no, I'm, I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at Mayor Baraka. I mean, you know, I think that that's a logical choice. There are certainly others. I mean, he's not the only one, but, um, you know, he's got a he's got a, a track record to run on in Newark. And, um, you know, we talk about those. You know, we just talked about this with regard to the legislative leadership. You know, if if the black voters and the minority voters of the party say, you know, this is our turn, um, I don't know if I don't know if the rest of the party can say no to that. And, I mean, there's there's others in the list, right? I mean, Lieutenant Governor Sheila Oliver, Jersey City Mayor Steve sure. Fulop won a two to one uh, win for his third term. You know, you got to put Nick Scatari on the list. Mikey Absolutely. Sherrill. Uh, uh, sure. know, some people are telling me Tammy Murphy. Uh, <laughs> but but is this is this is this is going to be? I mean, twenty three. We're going to look at Phil Murphy, and we're going to see how his midterms go, and that'll decide a lot about that field. But we're running out of time. That always happens when you and I speak. I want to talk about polling. Uh, New Jersey polls were, you know, they got it wrong. Everybody got it wrong. Some got it more wrong than others, but everybody got it wrong. What does that mean for the, the future only ones, of polling? Right? We all did. <laughs> we all did. We all did. Um, so and by know, the way, I should say the Mammoth poll. I mean, you know, you know, utmost respect for Patrick Murray, who came absolutely. right out of the box and saying, "I got it wrong." So you know, yep. Yep. owned it, and that's great. Yep, but what's absolutely. the future of so polling? Here's, here's my thought, and you know, I've never, first of all, I've never been happier not to be a pollster. Um, that's that's first and foremost. People at Ryder ask me all the time, "Why don't we do this?" I, I'm going to point to this and say, "This is why we don't do this." Um, but beyond that, I I think you know, there's something about Trump and the Trump era that broke polling, right? He made 
Republicans suspicious to talk to pollsters. They don't even want to answer the call. You and I have talked about how hard it is even to complete a sample because Republicans don't want to talk to you. And then if they do, there's no guarantee that they're telling you the truth because they just don't believe in it. And so I think you can accurately measure where, 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 uh, where Murphy was, and some pollsters did accurately measure where Murphy wound up. But it's that Republican vote that is just continuing to be undercounted. And they thought they fixed it after 2016, and they just didn't. They thought that they could adjust for education, and it's still not working. And what do you, what do, you do? What is, what, what, what's your advice to somebody like me, the New Jersey Globe? We, when a new poll comes out, we write it. We, you know, I, I'm, 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 I do it as quickly as I can. You know, a, a new poll shows candidate A leading candidate B by X points. Uh, and, I, and I consider that news. What's the responsible thing for the media to do on the reporting of polls? Well, I mean, you know, for your audience, the political insiders, this is, you know, this is red meat, right? You know, nobody wants to, you know, everybody wants to see that as fast as it possibly comes out. But you're right. For the general electorate, and nobody can, you know, nobody can pull punches. Everybody's big boys and girls, and everybody needs access to the information. Nobody's suggesting otherwise. But maybe we do need to think about what goes out in the weeks and the days before an election. Maybe we do need to think about, and I don't know if that happens on the media side or if that happens from the pollster side. But, you know, given that there are questions about, um, you know, the reliability of what we're looking at or the validity of what we're looking at, I do think it's reasonable to ask what kind of an impact do we want to have on the race with what we don't know whether it's accurate information. And it, I mean, make no mistake, it impacts campaigns. It, you know, when, when you run polls saying Phil Murphy's 11 points up, that makes it harder for Jack Cittarelli to raise money. Uh, it also makes it harder for it makes it harder. For, it made it harder for Phil Murphy to tell Democrats you need to come out and vote because we're we're afraid that we might lose the election. I know voters on both sides of that who said to themselves, well, I'm not going to vote for Murphy. I don't need to come out because he's got it in the bag. And I heard people on the Republican side saying, I'm not going to come out because Murphy's got it in the bag. So it definitely has an effect. So this is all, I mean, this is, this is, this is all, I mean, this is a big deal. This is a, a huge deal. I think we're going to be hearing a lot about that as we get into, you know, this, this to me, what happened in New Jersey with polling in 2021 is also a precursor to what we're going to see in 2022. Do you think, do you think national pundits are going to look at a U.S. Senate poll or a gubernatorial poll or a House poll going into 22 and, and use New Jersey as the model of, of what's wrong here? Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, David, but I'm certainly not going to look at polling the same way. And it's not because of one race. It's because now this is now, you know, probably the third cycle where there have been questions. So I'm just, you know, I'm going to look at it. I'm very interested in it. Obviously, I'm as interested as anybody else, but I'm going to take it with um, an appropriate grain of salt. Aren't you? I, I am. I am. And I, you know, and and and. This is a discussion we're going to have to have internally. It's a discussion I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to have to have with my readers. I want to see what I want to see what what everybody else in the media does too. But this this clearly impacts elections, and and it's 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 inadvertently, in my view, putting the thumb on a on the scale uh, in favor of one candidate and and to the detriment of another. And 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 like I said earlier, the, the campaigns. The campaigns that are ahead, they feel the result of that, too. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, it does seem to be something particular to undercounting Republicans at this point. And so that's really where we have to figure that out. And they thought that they, the pollsters thought they had figured that out. It's clear that they haven't. Well, this but has been be this has been an exciting this has been an exciting year. I mean, this is this has just been probably probably one of the most exciting that I've ever lived through. I I, I thank you, Mike Rasmussen, director of the Rebovich Institute of New Jersey Politics at Rhinos University, for for living it through you know living through this year with me. Uh, thank you for for your participation in the debates and and we're going to look forward to 2022. Thanks, David. It's been a blast. It, it always is. Thank you. And this is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. And you have been listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC.